to get to know you through premarital and just uh, presiding over your wedding. Talked to Pastor John Shim, the senior pastor of East Bay Baptist, a few uh, weeks ago, and just relate to him how encouraged we are by God's work through that church and through that ministry, how the gospel is going forth powerfully into the uh, UC Berkeley campus, but all the other campuses areas, the community there, and um, just gave him a personal note of thanks. Uh, they sow and we reap, you know, they, they do the work and <laughs> receive all the benefits of their hard labor. But uh, Christ is glorified because God causes all growth, so we give him praise. Well, Josh, thank God for you. And I guess Allison, you're next week in your testimony. Josh, you're 22, 23. Oh, you got a little older since last. That's your wedding. 23, and Allison, you're 22. 22. So they got married really young. Praise God. I'm all for that. Right? It was good to uh, see them uh, pursue Christ together. Let's pray for Joshua. God, we thank you. We praise you. Um, for Joshua, his life and his salvation, his desires, a new heart that you've given to him. Lord, you didn't count his sins against him. Lord, um, he had rebelled against you, pursuing idols, uh, desiring to worship himself and live for his own glory. But you didn't count that against him. Lord, you had mercy upon his soul. You saw him and had pity. You had compassion. So, Lord, you providentially sent him to Berkeley, put him in a place where he's room with a Christian believer. And when the gospel was shared, Lord, you opened his heart, you opened his eyes, you softened his heart, you caused his mind to be to understand and to grasp the truths of the gospel. And Lord, you saved him, you did it all, and you are continuing to do that work of, of raising him up to be a godly man, godly husband, a godly servant in your church. Lord, we give you praise. And Lord, you that began a good work in him, we entrust him all the more to you that you will continue it and finish it until the day of Christ. Lord, may um, the word of God continue to grip Joshua's heart. May, be a, may he be a man of one book and devoted to honoring you in every way. We rejoice to hear his testimony glorifying you and we uh, bless your name. We thank you and pray all these things in your son's name. Amen. I'll open your Bibles to Titus chapter 2, verses 3 through 5. It's been kind of a very blessed study, kind of a schizophrenic study with all these different pastors coming up and teaching on the women of our church. So I have to kind of like ground myself. Where are we? What are we doing? What section are we on? What a tremendous time we have had thus far. We have de- devoted these many weeks in studying God's instructions for our women because women are so important. Men, if you don't know by now, I hope you will learn today how important women are to our homes, to our church, and to this world. All of us, we must have a clear understanding of biblical commands for women and with wisdom and force of conviction apply these truths to our lives. Doubly so for all the women here. Because women, you are so powerful. You are so influential. Now, some of you women, you have no idea. You don't know this. You think, me? I don't influence anyone. I'm just a woman. I just follow. I just serve. I'm in the background. You are, if that is your idea, you're so deluded. You're deceived. You're blind. You are so powerful and so influential. I would contend that no one has more power 
to shape and influence a family than the wife and mother. No one has more power. Her clout and her influence is matchless, is without equal. It also goes for daughters. As a daughter in the home, you have incredible influence in your family. Not only that, therefore, a church's strength and vitality is dependent upon women. Because again, we see this again and again. Strong families build strong churches. Therefore, the greatest influencer in the home is a woman, is a wife, is a mother, is a daughter. She influences the family, and families influence the church, and churches influence the country, the world. Therefore, influence and power of women is maximized, intensified. Therefore, we must take care to faithfully teach, exhort, shepherd our dear single and married women of our church. We must be very careful, very faithful to understand these truths. And I want to bracket the whole study by just looking at this one verse from Proverbs 14.1. Now, you don't have to turn there. I'll just read it to you. But I want to um, defend the influence of women by this one verse. Proverbs 14.1, Solomon said, The wise woman builds her house, but the foolish tear it down with their own hands. Another version says, The wisest of women builds her house, but folly, the foolish one, with her own hands, she tears it down. So, that's how powerful she is. That is how strong she is. She can build up a family. And she has power to destroy it. If she's wise, she builds up her husband. She wisely encourages him to be a man of dignity, respect, and integrity. She strengthens her husband as the leader of the family and raises children in wisdom and righteousness and raises them in a manner where they respect her husband, raises them in a manner where they bring honor to him in the community. Proverbs 31 speaks of such a woman where she does much good to her husband, children, relatives, friends, community, and the world by her life and her services. But the knife is sharp, and it cuts both ways. She has power to build up, but equally so, she has power to destroy, to tear down. A foolish woman thoughtlessly and stupidly wields her influence, She destroys her house with her imprudent and indiscreet words, with her harsh and nagging words. She wears out her husband, literally wears him out. So he receives no respect at home, no respect with his children. Therefore, you can't respect a man who is not respected in his own home. Therefore, he he receives no respect in the world in the church, in the community, in the world. Therefore, he is a shell of a man. You know, he has a very very little dignity about him, very little self-respect left, because she has emasculated him by her rude and disrespectful attitude towards him. She tears down her husband, not only that, tears down and destroys her children. They are exasperated. 
They've been again and again provoked to anger and sin because she has so relationally, emotionally, personally, practically neglected them. Her selfishness is such that it's out of control, that she has thoughts and concerns only for herself, so much so that her children are emotionally and spiritually bankrupt. By her actions and attitudes, she has raised children who are full of resentment, full of bitterness. She's a burden to all her friends, a constant source of conflict, division, and strife. Women, therefore, are indeed double-edged swords. They cut both ways. Pastor John Angle James said this, Women, uh, Women was the finishing grace of all creation. She was the completeness of man's bliss in paradise. Women was the cause of sin and death to our world. The world was redeemed by the seed of a woman. Woman is the mother of the human race, our companion, counselor, comforter in the pilgrimage of life. But she is also our tempter our scourge and our destroyer, our sweetest cup of earthly happiness, or our bitterest drought of sorrow, is mixed and administered by her hand. She not only renders smooth or rough our path to the grave, but helps or hinders our progress to immortality. In heaven we shall bless God for her aid in assisting us to reach that blissful state. Or, amid the torments of unutterable woe in another region, in hell, we shall deplore the fatality of her influence. That's how powerful she is. In heaven, we'll bless her name. We'll thank God for her. Because God used her to build us up. Or in hell, we'll curse her name. Because she influenced us. Temptation and towards denying God. Women right now, all the married women, all the moms, and all you daughters, if you're living in your parents' home or you're living with roommates, you're either building up your home or you're destroying it. One or the other. That is why Titus 2, 3 through 5 is so vital. The world is telling you, what the world is telling you results in destruction of your home. What the world is telling you will result in the destruction of your home. The world is telling you, love whoever you want. Farm your children out to someone else. Have them be raised by someone else. Don't worry about what is wise and sensible. Do whatever pleases you. Don't worry about being pure. Fulfill your physical and lustful desires. The world is telling you, don't work at home. Don't be a slave. Don't be a doormat. Work outside the home. Don't worry about being kind. You are the most important person. Do whatever you want. Grab your moment in the sun. Take care of yourself. By all means, whatever you do, don't submit to your own husband. That is what the world is telling you through every means possible, through songs, commercials, TV shows, you know, movies, magazines, books, they're giving this message, they're bombarding it to us, but do you realize the way of life, the the end, it it ends in destruction. It ends in the tearing down of your home. And so the women of our generation are destroying their families. And we see the results of that in our society and societies all over the world. But see, Titus 2 
Paul's doing the exact opposite. Paul's giving us, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wisdom here. Life-giving wisdom. So that women have wisdom and understanding and the courage of conviction to build up her home. To build it up. Seven commands, exhortations for women, specifically for you. That if you love your husband, that if you just love your children, if you just be sensible, pursue sensibility, wisdom, just being reasonable, being wise, if you just pursue purity, being diligent at home, kind and submissive to your own husbands, you will build up your husband, build up your children, you build up your family, the source of the gospel, encouragement to all. Right? You will build up your home and you will, you will see the result of that. There will be true joy in your family. You will make your homes a place full of joy and delight. Right? Isn't that how it ought to be? It's not the way it should be. A Christian's home should be full of joy. Full of overflowing. Full and overflowing with the beauty of Christ. The beauty of holiness, which is seen by joy, that is observable and clearly experienced by all who reside there. And all who visit. There's a sense of just supernatural divine joy in this household. That's the way it ought to be. And that it should be the goal of every Christian woman to make their homes reflect the goodness, glory, and majesty of God's perfect beauty. The world has no idea how to do this. The world thinks you make a home full of joy by going to Home Depot. Go to Lowe's. Right? Go to JCPenney. Make sure the, the paint matches the carpet. Right? You go to living spaces or Ikea. Buy nice furniture. Get the latest appliances. You know, you spray that. You know, the girls do that, right? You know, guys don't care. But you spray aroma in the house. Make it smell like flowers. Scented candles all over the place. Right? You know, freshly cut flowers. And that is the way to make a home full of joy. But for the world, their homes are clean, immaculate. But they are filled with miserable people. They live in nice, gated communities. Everything is perfect. There's no joy in these homes full of misery because the people are miserable. All their efforts to make their homes beautiful are a waste. They have no spiritual or lasting value. Though they spend ungodly amounts of money and time on the house, they miss out on the true joy of family and home because they don't know. They don't know God's word. They don't know how to prepare their family. That's the world they have. They have the family, but they don't know how to build her up. They only know how to destroy it. A point there in your outline. I was debating whether to use it or not, but it's in the outline already, so I have to use it. A seminarian was dating a Korean lady. illustrates this. Many years ago, when I was going to seminary, my wife was in the Sem Wives Fellowship, and they would have small groups. And this Korean lady was there too, so she knew she was Korean, was saying, oh, how are you doing there, small talk. And wow, you know, I just started, started dating about six months ago, and you're a seminarian, and we're like about to get engaged, and looks like we're going to get married. And she was saying, oh, let me tell you what happened. 
you know, after a few weeks of, of dating him, I wanted to show him my appreciation, you know, my, my care for him. And I know he was studying for midterms or something. So I uh, put on his apartment door several pounds of Korean ribs, Korean kalbi, Korean ribs, right? You know, raw for him to prepare and eat. So several days later, you know, they met up again. He was like, thank you so much. That was so delicious. I ate every bite, enjoyed it immensely. And she was like, great. And she says, wow, I never had, you know, meat like that. And she's like, well, what do you mean? Like, it was good, but it was such an exotic food for me. I never ate anything, ate meat raw. (laughs) So he had no idea. Like, you're supposed to barbecue that thing, cook the thing, put it in a fry pan, whatever. He ate it raw. And because his girlfriend gave it to him, he ate every last bite. So all the men, we understand, like, oh, that's painful, right? That's like regret. Because not only did he eat something that was disgusting, but the opportunity cost. He could have had kalbi, right? Korean barbecue. Not only did he have what was gross, but he didn't, he missed out on what was, you know, a great meal, right? Well, that's the, you got it? See, that's the predicament of unbelievers, right? They have families, they have parents, they have siblings, they have roommates, but they don't know what to do with it. Only they know they eat it raw, they're destroying it. The unbeliever has what God has created by common grace, it's been given to them but has no power, no wisdom, no understanding to rightly and truly enjoy them. And you know what's sad? This is the reality for many Christians. You guys have Korean barbecue, and you guys are eating it raw too. When with the Korean barbecue, we give you an instruction manual on how to prepare this barbecue, how to, how to you know, fry it, how to put it in a, uh, you know, barbecue it, you know, how to prepare it so you can enjoy a good meal, we gave you this instruction manual. God gave it to you, but you're not reading it. You're, you're ignoring it. You're neglecting it. You're eating it raw. So many Christian homes are like non-Christian homes. Life at home is miserable. Right. I am not exaggerating to say that this is pervasive in Christianity. Maybe at Cornerstone today, where behind closed doors, a lot of heartache, a lot of hurt, a lot of scars. Because you have what you wanted, it's family. You have siblings, you have parents, there's all this pain. Just like non-Christians. Let me ask you some questions. Is there rejoicing in your tents? Is there rejoicing in your home? Is your home pleasant for the family? as well as for guests? Does your husband want to come home? He can't wait. The work is done. He wants to come home and be with you. He wants to come and be with the children. Your siblings want to hang out with you? Or do they want to avoid you? Are you an oasis of comfort in your family when they come home? Or 
Is there quarreling, constant bickering, nagging, criticism, grumpiness, constant correction, and all sorts of displays of unkindness? So important. And it all starts with women. All starts with wives. All starts with moms. You know, though marriage should be a blessed state. Let me say this, guys. You have four premarital couples here. Okay? Marriage should be a blessed state. But if you marry a foolish woman, it's far worse than being alone. It's far worse. Where did I get this from? Proverbs 21:19. It is better to dwell in the wilderness than with a contentious and an angry woman. Death Valley is better than living with a woman who's angry. Where's Death Valley? You know, I don't need a tent, right? I'll sleep out there. It's better. Proverbs 21:9. It is better to live in a corner of the housetop than in a house shared with a quarrelsome wife. Now. The roof in, in this area was flat roofs, right? It's not like pointed roofs. So it's exposed outside. So he's saying, Solomon's saying, it's better to live outside exposed to the elements in the corner of the roof and to live in that home with a quarrelsome wife. In case you missed it, far, uh, 15 verses down, Solomon repeats this proverb. Proverbs 25, 24. It is better to live in a corner of the housetop than in a house shared with a quarrelsome wife. He repeats it. Proverbs 27, 15, and 16. A continual dripping on a rainy day and a quarrelsome wife are alike. To restrain her is to restrain the wind. It's impossible. She's so powerful. You can't do it. Or to grasp oil in one's right hand. It's impossible. You try to hold back. A woman who is quarrelsome, antagonistic, angry, who is nagging, contentious. You are powerless to restrain her. Therefore, this, that is why this study is so important. Because women are so powerful and influential. Women, you need to do this yourself. And older women, this is your ministry. That is too, right? Older women, it is your ministry, your stewardship, your responsibility to train younger women not to destroy their homes, destroy their lives, but to build up their homes, build up their lives. Paul gives seven duties in three through five. Today we're on number six. Number six. So here we go again, you know. We're going to do a whole sermon on one word. Apostle Paul uses one word to describe the student. You guys know what that word is. It's kind. Kind. You might think, oh, you know, kind. That's great. Let's move on. Next one is a key one. Submissive to husbands. Kind. You know. (laughs) I can live without the kind. If she only submits to me. Right? No, no, no. Very important. This, this beauty. Several translations, ESV, NAS, NIV, have rendered it kind. Other versions have rendered it good. Some synonyms of kind, good, it's um, altruistic, gentle, considerate, merciful, thoughtful, good-hearted, kind-hearted, kindly. Some antonyms, some opposites, bad, bitter, cruel, inconsiderate, mean, unfriendly, ungenerous, unkind. You know, I didn't know this about like, 
the culture of women, but women can be very mean, right? And guys, we don't know this, but girls know this about each other. And I, I hear bits and pieces I hear from women, yeah, like girls can be so catty. Girls can be so cruel, so unkind. See, guys, we're not like that. We're good to each other, right? <laughs> you come to church, hey, how you doing, brother? You know, we meet, we say hi, we're all good. Women like, oh, look at her. Her socks don't match her shirt. <laughs> Man, look at that haircut. Man, look at what, I mean, it's just, it can be downright cruel. So when I'm preaching on women, I'm preaching my faith. As a guy, I don't understand, like, this instruction for to be kind. But for women, I believe you understand what God is talking about here. God understands there is a disposition that is ingrained in the heart of a woman towards being unkind, being unmerciful, being, being thoughtless, being inconsiderate. And so God is speaking to you. In, es- in essence, it's kindness and goodness. These two words can be used interchangeably, but there is a distinction. Jerry Bridges was very helpful in defining kindness and goodness. Kindness is a sincere desire for the happiness of others. Sincere desire. So you want your husband to be happy. You want your children to be happy. You want your siblings, your parents, your roommates to be happy. You have the desire. That's what Paul is commanding here. But not just desire, it's goodness, where is the activity calculated to advance that happiness. You're not sitting passive, wishing the happiness of people in your home. You're doing things. You're actively involved. You're planning. You're calculating so that the happiness will result in the members of your own home. And the sphere, again, is the home. The first place. I mean, Titus 2, 3 through 5 it's like sad. It's like all about the home, all about the family. It's concentric circles, right? Home, and then church, community, and the world. But the first place where a woman displays her kindness, her goodness, is to be in her own home. First place is one's immediate family. It's the most important place. It's the most difficult place. I think, especially for women, especially for women, because that's where that's who you really are at home, right? I, I experienced this firsthand doing youth ministry years ago. You know, a key responsibility of being a youth pastor is what? Picking up kids, right? Giving kids rides, right? It's like a te- you know, glorified taxi driver. You have to <laughs> teach Bible study while they're in the car. So there's a sweet gal, 13, 14 years old in our church. Man, the sweetest girl. Man, you want to just adopt her. So, like, gentle, tender-hearted. Like, really angelic. Like, big eyes. Really nice girl. So I w- went to pick her up, pick, pick her up, and uh, mom let me in. I'm sitting in the ro- living room. She calls out to her, you know, come downstairs. And she starts yelling and screaming, right? She was like Idi Amin or little Yosef Stalin. I mean, she just, she was like, you know, like speaking in a manner, a tone that was so disrespectful, so hurtful. She comes around the corner, she sees me. Oh, hi, Pastor James. <laughs> Complete change. It was amazing. And I realized that's who she really is. The all gentle, tender, sweet. That's the act. That's the Oscar, right? The reality is who she's at home. A character in Pilgrim's Progress, saint abroad, devil at home. My two faces, the outside face, the inside face. Kind to strangers. 
kind to church people. You're not kind to members of your own family. So Paul, God rightly says, it starts with at the home, right? Concentric circles begin the battle there and let it overflow to the world. So let's first look at kindness. Kindness. And this is all application, right? I, I want to be preaching expositorily, but, you know, there are things that fit right doctrine. I'm not preaching doctrine, I'm preaching life. So I have to be very uh, practical, very specific. So uh, just understand that. Let's look at kindness. A sincere desire for the happiness of others. Sincere desire for the happiness of others. Now, what does this look like? What does this look like in the home? Let me give you some examples. First is the characteristic of amiability. Amiability. It's the disposition and attitude of seeking to please others. It's the attitude of agreeableness. You know, there's some women who are just disagreeable. Right? You say anything that just disagrees, live to disagree, live to counter, live to be the devil's advocate. That's their call in life. Now, a kind woman is, has the disposition to be agreeable. Right? She wants to see eye to eye. She's seeking unity. She wants to be of the same mind. She doesn't want to be defined, be rebellious. She wants to avoid whatever would offend if it's up to her. Non-biblical, non-moral areas, she wants to give up her preferences and agree. That's an example of someone who is kind at home. Secondly, um, how's this... uh, you know, sweet disposition, a joyful countenance. Um, sometimes seeing the opposite helps. She's not grumpy. She's not grouchy. Right? She's not easily offended, easily hurt, easily upset. She doesn't have a hair trigger for a temper or anything. Even small things causes her to snap and she's like the Incredible Hulk. Right? She's given to anger and rage. Just because you didn't pick up your socks, you know. Just because you, you left dishes overnight, you know, you didn't miss it out. Or just some small, slight, yes, offense. But she is just, instead, she's sweet, joyful. She's thankful. She's, she's she has a, a joyful countenance. Third is uh, about content. She's content at home. She's grateful to her family, to her parents, to her siblings. She's always giving thanks to God. The opposite of this is the quality of being gloomy, brooding, sullen, and depressed, where they sulk for hours, for days, or maybe even weeks. They easily and often retreat into themselves. They're silent and distant over small matters. Over a little thing, their whole world falls apart. And consider that influence upon her husband, that influence upon her children, when a woman is like this. Finally, final example is that she is selfless. A kind woman, a kind wife, a kind daughter is selfless. She cares not for her comforts or preferences. She desires the happiness of her husband, of her children, of her guests. 
not herself. She has no list of demands, list of non-negotiables. She holds all things with an open hand. Opposite is the selfish woman where for her, her happiness is the utmost importance in the family. It's her priority. It must be the priority of the husband and the children. Her own happiness. Everyone must bend to her way. And if she doesn't get her way, then no one's happy. No one is allowed to be happy. No one can have peace if she doesn't have what she wants. She is her own idol. And if her will is not done, then there will be severe consequences. Everyone will pay. So kindness positives and negative examples. Let's go to goodness. Um, turn with me to 1 Timothy 5. This is really good. This is really good. I don't have to uh, come up with my own list. Paul gives, us, gives it to us in 1 Timothy 5, verses, verse 3 and verse 10. Again, goodness is the activity calculated to advance that happiness. Activity calculated to advance that happiness. What does that look like? It looks like, it looks like this. She abounds in good deeds to her family, her church family, her neighbors, and complete strangers. She abounds in good work, good works. So much so, her reputation, that's her reputation, she has a reputation for good works. 1 Timothy 5, verse 3, honor widows who are truly widows. Honor them. Now, who are these true widows? Verse 10, they have a reputation for good works. Now, Paul uh, gives examples of good works in verse 10. First of all, brought up children. Stop right there. That's good work. She should have a reputation of good works. The first good work First thing that qualifies as good works is she's brought up children. That's a great work. She poured herself to her children, like Timothy's mom, to raise godly, virtuous, and courageous children. She didn't see her children as a burden. They were not a stumbling block to her ministry. No. It was her first ministry. It means to nourish children. This quality views the godly widow as a Christian mother who has raised godly children in the home. To do so is a woman's greatest privilege and responsibility and the church, we need to recognize this. That this is good work. This is great work. That's the kind of culture we want to raise at Cornerstone. We're the men of our church. We honor women. Wow, you make that much money? Wow, that car, why you drive that car? Man, I honor you. I respect you. Can I get a ride? You know? No, wow, you have these degrees? No, we want to be men. We respect and honor you because you brought up these children. You're bringing them up. You're nourishing them. We want to lift them up and exalt them in the congregation and give them due honor. Older women, that's what you ought to be doing. Where you respect women who devote themselves to raising God, the children, who pour themselves out for their own home. Alright? Now I'm all about that. You know what I mean? Can I get on a small soapbox here? A little soapbox. A little one. You know, I was, I was, one of the things that, in a small way, bothered me about the birthday parties thing last year. 
because single guys and gals were getting these huge birthday parties, and I felt like, you don't deserve that. That's small so far, is that okay? Because, right? you know, like, if we give our daughter Elizabeth a birthday party, what has she done to deserve this elaborate birthday party? All she did was come to our home, eat our food, make a mess, destroy our furniture, you know, keep us awake at night, and now she turns two, and we got to stop our lives and give her a big birthday party? Wait a minute. Elizabeth, she's not here, is she? We need to give... We need to give mom a big birthday party because she's the one stayed up late, you know, 10 hours in labor, all of that, right? To, to raise you, she should have the big birthday party. Same thing in the church, right? For single guys and gals, you should get a birthday party, but come on, in proportion. Honor should go to those who are worthy of honor, relatively in the church. And Paul says, honor widows who are truly widows, those who have brought up children, there should be a sense of honor in the, in the church. In the world, there's no honor. In the world, you're a homemaker. You know, you have, wow, you have four kids and you want more? What's wrong with you? Right? Man, you guys are, right? That's the eyes of the world. They have no honor in the world or in the church. You give them honor. Secondly, they've shown hospitality. They've shown hospitality. Just like the elders, she is devoted to hosting friends, family, friends, and strangers. She has shown sacrificial devotion to the needs of people. Her house is open. Her possessions are instruments to be used to serve people. For so many women, their home is like, it's so personal. Like, it, it's, it's a reflection of them. So they want to protect it at all costs. Right? And so they don't want people coming over. They don't want children coming over because they might, you know, spill drinks in the carpet make a mark on their walls, you know, dirty up the tiles, or when they go to the bathroom, they might miss and, you know, make a stain. And so w- women are like, no, I don't want anybody, you know, only like, only certain people, only small number of people. But not a godly woman. She is hospitable. Her house is open. Her, her house is open because her heart is open. Because she loves people. She loves Christians, and she loves non-Christians for the sake of the gospel. She doesn't seek to keep her house immaculate and pristine like a museum. She doesn't get upset at, at guests or guys coming over and spilling drinks, right? Wearing tear on the carpet. No, her home is open because she understands her home. It belongs to God. It's a base for ministry. Third, she has washed the feet of the saints. Washed the feet of the saints. In a figurative sense, Paul speaking figuratively, she has humbly served and ministered to other Christians. She has humbly served and ministered to other Christians. She has visited those who are sick, in the hospital, who are ill. She personally went and cared for them. Meals on wheels. Those who were in need, she served them. I saw this firsthand twice, actually, a few months ago. All the pastors, the uh, shepherds, we had a small group meeting at the church house. We rent a church house for the pastor's study. We have ministry meetings, staff meetings there, prayer meetings. And we were going there, I think, on a, a Tuesday night. And Joshua was there. One day or Tuesday night, and there was someone in the home. We walk in. There were two sisters of our church. After working, single gals, you know, professionals, they changed their clothes. You know what they're doing at our church house? They're vacuuming the church house. They're throwing away trash. 
you know, dishes that some of these interns left over, right? <laughs> they, were, they were cleaning. Maybe me too. But they were, they were doing dishes, right? There was a light bulb that was broken. They were replacing it. And I was like so encouraged, like so humbled. They're not getting paid. They're, not getting, they're doing it because they're washing the feet of the saints. And I heard about a month ago, we have a setup team. These guys come up an hour, hour and a half before church. They wake up early, bring all the equipment. They, they set up everything. By the time we're at lunch, they break down everything. And they're serving the church. Well, some sisters on their own thought, we want to serve these men who are serving us. So they prepare breakfast and bring it for these guys to prepare breakfast for them on their own initiative. When I hear that, that's, you know, washing the feet of the saints. Right? That's good work on their own. That's good ministry. Right? Now, we need a group to serve these sisters who are serving the setup ministry, <laughs> who are serving us, but that's a whole other issue. But, man, that's good ministry. Right? Honor such women. They are kind women. Fourthly, they help those in trouble. They help those in trouble. Assisted those in distress. Spiritually, emotionally, financially, they were the ones. They cared for orphans and widows. So widows are in distress, right? Orphans need help. They're devoted to good works. Uh, Acts 9, 36, 39. There's a lady named Dorcas. Tabitha. She died and all these widows are crying at her bedside. And when Peter went to her bedside, all the widows stood by him weeping and showing tunics and garments that Tabitha made while she was with them. They were crying because she was so good to them. These widows were outcasts of society, but she had compassion and she, on her own time, made garments to clothe these women to keep them warm. So essentially, number five, she's devoted to every good work. Devoted to every good work. It describes the woman who has been diligent in her pursuit of good deeds. I see here a great description of women's ministry. One of service, of meeting needs, of caring, serving, of helping. It is a ministry that is very needed and very special. Ministry of good works. And I would say women are specifically created by God for this ministry. Um, The care and the service that women provide, men just cannot provide that. We are ill-equipped. I've got a long quote and then I'll end with this. And we'll continue our study next week. But somewhat lengthy, but I mean it's so true. It's by Pastor John Angle James again. He said this, It has been beautifully said that in sickness, there is no hand like a woman's hand, no heart like a woman's heart. A man's heart may swell with unquestionable sorrow, yet place him by the sick couch and let him have to count over the long, dull hours of night and await alone and sleepless. Let him be appointed to this ministry, even for the sake of his own brother or the father of his being. But his grosser nature, even when most perfect, will tire. 
His eyes will close and his spirit will grow impatient of this jury task. You understand what he's, what he's saying? I put a man next to a sick brother or a sick father and have him care for this sick person for days. Even the most perfect man after several hours, his eyes will close, his spirit will grow impatient of this jury task. And though his love and anxiety remain undimished, his mind will experience a creeping in of irresistible selfishness, which indeed he may be ashamed of and struggle to reject, but which despite all his efforts will remain to categorize his nature and prove in one respect at least the weakness of man. But see a mother, a sister, or a wife in that place. The woman feels no weariness and has no thought of herself. In silence and in the depth of night, she bears up not only passively, but with delight. Her ear acquires a blind man's instinct as from time to time it catches the slightest stir, whisper or breath of the now more than ever loved one who lies under the hand of human affliction. And thus, night after night, she tends him like a creature sent from above. When all earthly watchfulness has failed, her eye never winking, her mind never palled, her nature, which at all other times is weak, now she's gaining a superhuman strength and magnanimity, herself forgotten and her care alone predominant. Isn't this true? Isn't this the reality? When Emma got that accident, she had a gash on her forehead. Who needs to hold her? Emma needs her mom. Surin held Emma for like five, six hours. She took a restroom break. I held her for five minutes. And I was getting tired. <laughs> Man, Emma's heavy. She's squirming. I don't know what to do. I, I tried to put, put a brave front, but she came back after a few minutes. I kind of, you know, leaned her towards the way. And Surin took her back. Women have this quality that men just even can't approach. Now, husbands, you see that, right? Late at night, you're, sleep, you're about to go to sleep, and your wife wants to check up on the kids, and you're like, oh, they're okay, let's go to sleep. Oh, I hear something, I don't hear anything, they're alright. But what does the wife do? What does the mom? She gets up out of bed. So, ah, 50% of the time I get up with her, 50%, to check up on the children. What women do cannot be matched by men, her kindness and good works. Good deeds. That is why it's so appropriate. At the cross, Peter and all the disciples fled and ran away. And who is standing there with Jesus in his most humiliating hour, most difficult hour? It's his mother. Man, I don't think Joseph could handle it. Joseph would have ran away to see his son experience such pain and torture and suffering. Right? But who is there to care for him, to stand by him in that awful hour? It's Mary. I thought women were weak. Well, not in this way. Not in kindness. Not in good deeds. They're uniquely strong. Right? Uniquely strong. I believe this is women's mission in life. Kindness and goodness that overflows from the home. Final, final questions. We'll continue next week.
women, what are you known for? All right. How would your family and friends portray your character? Would they say, she sincerely seeks my happiness? She has, you know, she has no personal agenda. She's not living for herself. Her agenda is not herself. You know what? As her, her friend, as her husband, as her sibling, I can say, she seeks the happiness of others. Is that your reputation? And secondly, do you act upon that? Do you have a reputation of good works, good deeds, concentric circle, all the things that we listed? Are you abounding in that? Are you abounding in those things? Or are you seeking things in the world? What if Serena's holding Emma and after a few hours she says, no, now I've got to go to work. James, here, you hold her. I've got a job, I've got to go. Is that your approach? I'm too busy. right with my life, when your life, your ministry, is kindness and goodness. Let's pray. God, we thank you for our women. We thank you for our our dear sisters in Christ, our, our wives, mothers, single sisters or daughters or they are so precious in your sight as well as ours. Oh Lord, would you grant them um, this humility and courage to, to take, to look at the mirror of God's word and to not look away. Would you grant them such humble desire for holiness that they would dare not turn away from what the Bible reveals to them about themselves. And, oh God, would you grant them the heart to be doers of God's words so that after leaving, they will not forget what they saw. They would intently look into the mirror of God's word and look into it until they are conformed fully to the image of Christ and to the image of the godly woman that you desire for them. Lord, we, we know that we are helpless on our own. It is not by our strength our ability, we're able to do this. And if, if it was, then all boast and glory would go to ourselves. We acknowledge we're helpless to accomplish these things. All the women here, all of us, we are wretched sinners. We are rotten to the core. So therefore, Lord, our eyes are fixed upon you. We look to you. You are the author and finisher of our faith. The Holy Spirit resides in us. The Holy Spirit inspired these words. So the Holy Spirit is ever at working through the Word of God to conform us to these qualities. So we pray that no woman would leave this morning discouraged or dejected or disheartened. They would not lose heart, but they would be encouraged because these are the promises of God and you will do whatever it takes to make them grow in these areas. Lord, may our families be built up, lofty, high and strong, built up by the work of, the, these, of our women so that the church may be built up so that as a church, the pillar of the truth, the word of God will be raised so that men might know and believe in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.